Thank you, Doug. Good morning again, and welcome. My name is Matt, um, and I am excited to share some stuff with you this morning that we've been working on together for a while. Like Doug said, we're, we're uh, in the middle of a series called Don't Do Life Alone. You may have even heard us use this phrase a little bit outside of this series. It's something that we, we really believe as a concept, as an important thing for us to embrace together and us for, for us to have um, as an important thing that we're, we're regularly working on and this idea of not doing life alone. And we're gonna talk a little bit more as, as we get into it about what that actually means. But before, before I get into that, I wanna start really, I, I, came across, um, I came across this metaphor as I was kind of studying for today and getting ready for what I was gonna share today that I think is, is helpful. If nothing else, it was helpful for me to wrap my head around some things. And so I wanted to share it with you in hopes that it might be helpful for you too as we're talking just a little bit. I want you to consider just uh, for this morning um, these two things that I have up here. I don't know if you can see them from where you're at. I have two kind of collections of unique items. This first one is uh, a bag of marbles. I don't know if you ever, did you play with marbles when you were a kid? You have to have a bag, maybe even a bag like this. You do the thing where you like rolled it across a circle and tried to hit the things out. I, I never did that, but um, I always like marbles and playing with them a little bit. Marbles are, a, are an interesting thing. I have a collection of marbles right here. They're unique individual marbles that are here. They're together because they're in this bag, but really they're still just a collection of unique individuals. They don't interact with each other a whole lot in any kind of a meaningful way. They were created in, I don't know, maybe they were created in the same factory, maybe they were created in different factories and brought together. There's not much that uh, connects these other than the proximity right now, that they're in, in the same bag together. Unique individual marbles, they're all a little bit different from each other. Right now, they're just in proximity with each other in a bag together. And I want you to think about that versus a cluster of grapes that I have here. A cluster of grapes is kind of similar, uh, similar size items, unique individuals. Each one is, is a little bit different from each other. But there's something that's different about a cluster of grapes, is in that a cluster of grapes there's something that connects each individual to the other individuals to kind of form its own unit. See, these don't, they don't move around too much. They kind of stay in place. They're connected because they're all connected to, I don't know, if it, what's it called, the, the vine, the, uh, I don't know, someone else in first service said it was something, and I can't remember, the stem. I don't know what it's called. They're connected by that little piece of wooden stuff that sap runs through. Um, vines. I didn't, uh, that was not my area of study when I was in college, so. Um, but there's something unique about a cluster of grapes in that all of these grapes are connected to each other. They're still individuals, but they're, they're connected. They, they all had the same source of life and nourishment as they were growing and developing. One of the things that's interesting about a cluster of grapes is that one of the things that I can learn is that if I see a couple grapes that are starting to go bad, 
I know that that's not just a unique situation here, but that's actually something that's, that's telling me more about the state of some of the other grapes as well, that if, if I am just going to ignore that a couple are going bad, um, likely soon I'm going to have a whole bunch of bad grapes. Um, if they were still attached to a plant and they started going bad, it would tell me something about what's happening with the plant. It would tell me that I need to be paying attention. If I take one of these marbles out and I smash it with a hammer, um, it doesn't have any impact on the rest of the marbles. I, I would have one less. Why do I say all this? I, I believe that it's helpful for me and I hope it's helpful for us to think about our life as followers of Jesus through, through these two lenses. That, that maybe, maybe life for us as followers of Jesus is meant to be a little bit more like this cluster of grapes. But I think that we have a tendency to drift toward functioning kind of like a bag of marbles. We'll talk more about this a little bit as we continue. When we say don't do life alone, one of the things that, that we're trying to address is that we, I think, have a tendency to live as individuals that are in proximity with each other but are never really connected. I'll say that one more time. We have a tendency to drift to the place where we live Functionally, maybe we're together. Maybe we're in the same room as each other. We're a bunch of individuals right now that are in proximity with each other. Like, but we have a tendency to stay that way and never really connect with the other individuals. And what I believe and what I, what I want to talk about today is how, how I believe that as followers of Jesus, we are meant to live more like a cluster of grapes. We are meant to be connected to each other in a more significant and meaningful way. We are meant to be connected to each other in a way that, that uh, is so connected that we share the same source of life and nourishment. That in a way that's so connected that when one of us is struggling, it's not just something that can be isolated on the side, that we're so deeply connected with each other as followers of Jesus that when one or two are going bad, it's indicative of something that needs to be addressed in the whole because we're connected together. And I want to think about that, and I want you to be having that on your mind a little bit more today. The title for today is Gospel-Shaped Community. There's some notes inside your bulletin. If you want to look at those, there's some spots where you can take some notes. Um, I think it, it could be helpful. The focus today is that following Jesus was never meant to be an individual endeavor. Following Jesus was never meant to be an individual endeavor. Point number one, really quickly, our tendency will always be toward individualism. Our tendency will always be toward individualism. This is my tendency, just me. This is our tendency as a culture, I think. This is our tendency even as church members, is toward independence, toward I can take care of myself, toward I don't need anybody for anything. 
Um, I've never been a female, so I don't know if this is a, like a male-female difference thing. I know that like as, as a, a male, I feel a lot of this. I feel, I feel like culturally there is a, there is a thing that's held up that kind of says, if you ever admit that you can't handle things on your own, that's weak. If you ever admit that you can't take care of something by yourself, like that's, that's weakness showing through. I feel that pressure. I feel that pull to go to that place. I think that we hold that up culturally kind of as a value. I know, ladies, some of you feel the same thing, that, that the idea of depending on someone else is a bad thing. We want to try to avoid that at any cost. If I'm being honest, for me, like I actually really, um, I, that's what I want to do. I, I have a tendency to, to lean toward individualism. I don't want to rely on other people for anything, really. Like in 2018, we live in a great time. Uh, maybe great. I, I don't know if it's so great. It feels great sometimes. Functionally, I can live almost completely isolated from everybody else if I choose to. Because of what we have on the internet, because of the kinds of things I can do, I can pay my bills online, I could work from home, I could order my groceries and have them delivered to my front door, or literally anything else that I want on Amazon. Like, I don't have to engage in relationship if I don't want to. And the reality is that for, if you're like me, probably there, there is a tendency toward individualism. And it could be because you've, you know that how hard it is to engage in relationship. You know that it's difficult. Like, it's not an easy thing. Really quickly, uh, if, if all of the relationships in your life are really smooth and are really easy and don't take any work, would you just raise your hand really quickly? Like, that's none of us. Like, being a human being in relationships with other humans, human beings is not an easy thing. And so we have this tendency to move toward a place of independence and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of it myself. I'm going to be independent. I'm not going to need anybody. What I want to tell us today the reason I say that, that was a weird sentence, what I want to tell us today. I say that because I, I don't have this figured out. Like, I'm telling you honestly, like, there are, there are often times where I want to do anything other than push deeper into relationships with other people. So, like, I, I'm not just telling you. I'm, like, preaching to me in the audience too. Like this is all of us. This is me. This is you. This is humanity in a lot of ways, I think. Is that relationships are hard. And as a result, we have a tendency toward individualism. However, the more that I dig, the more that I look at scripture, the more that I read the things that that the disciples of Jesus wrote about what it means to follow him closely, the more and more convinced I am that the idea of being independent, taking care of things on my own, resisting relationships, withdrawing to a place of comfort 
for me is completely contrary to what Jesus had in mind for his followers. It's completely against what it means to even be a part of the family of God. And I think it's crucial for us to understand this because it's, it is so against our natural tendency. It so is against everything that is easy and comfortable and that we want to do. But if we want to live the kind of life that God has in mind for us, if we want to live in the kind of relationships that God has in mind for us, if we want to be followers of Jesus in the way that he has in mind, I think that we have to get a handle on this and we have to do everything we can to fight against our natural tendencies. We're going to look in the book of Hebrews today in chapter 10. Um, if you want to look in, in your Bible, you're welcome to. If you want to look on the screen, I'm going to have everything that we read today that will be up on the screen so you can look up there too. Hebrews is an interesting book of the Bible. It's a letter that, was, um, that we can find in the New Testament. It's toward the back of the, back of the book. Um, it's a letter that was written to a group of people who were trying to follow Jesus as a way of encouraging them and training them and helping them to grow. We don't know who wrote it. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Different people have guesses. Um, it's, it's clear from early in the book that it was someone who was closely connected to the disciples of Jesus. Um, it's clear from the beginning of the, the letter of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that uh, whoever wrote it... Um, knew a lot about the old covenant between God and the nation of Israel. So it was someone who, who had a lot of knowledge and understanding of how that whole old system used to work. A lot of people think it might have been Paul because he kind of fits those things, um, but nobody really knows who it was. It's a good book, though. It's, it's full of really beneficial things that can help us, like I said, as followers of Jesus, people who are trying to learn how to follow him better. It has a ton of helpful, beneficial things to train us and encourage us and equip us to do that as best we can. It's broken up into a couple different parts. And so one of the things that I want to tell you today is that, that we're going to read a little bit of a section, but, but um, out of chapter 10, for the most part, um, if you look at the whole book of Hebrews, the first like 10 chapters are all kind of about a couple different things. The, the writer of Hebrews for the first 10 chapters is trying to say, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done, and these are some of the implications for us. This is who Jesus is. These are some of the things that he's done, and this is why it matters to us. He's obviously talking to, I'm assuming it's a he. I'm going to call the author a he. Um, but he's obviously talking to people who were used to the old system and used to the old covenant, used to things like sacrifices and having to pay for your own sins, that kind of stuff. Um, he's talking to those people and he's saying, hey, hey, this is who Jesus said he was. These are the things that Jesus did and this is why it matters for us. It matters for us because he changes the system. We don't have to, to 
make our own sacrifices anymore. We don't have to go through a priest anymore. He's our, our priest and he's made a way for us to have access to God. So the whole first 10 chapters of Hebrews is about a lot of that stuff, like laying a lot of this groundwork. And then this section that we're gonna read in chapter 10, it's in the middle of chapter 10, but it feels like a pivot point where the writer of Hebrews kind of said like, here's who Jesus was, here's what he did, here's why it matters. What we're gonna read is where he says, so this is what we need to do about it. Here's who Jesus was, here's what he did, here's why it matters, and now this is what we need to do about it. If we believe these things together, here's what we gotta do. Here's what it's supposed to look like, practically speaking, for us. If we believe that, this is, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what, he, what we know he did, that these are the implications, this is what should be our response. And so that's what we're gonna read together Right now, up on the screen is Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. So keep in mind, he just said all that stuff, and now he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. So he says, since all that stuff is true, now what? Um, he says, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now what? What are we supposed to do? If those things are true, what are we supposed to do about it practically? He says this. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So if all of those things are true, if Jesus is who he said he was, if he did the things that we know he did, and if those implications are true for us, if he is now, if he's made a way for us to have access to the Father, if his blood paid the price for us, here's what we got to do. We got to draw near. We got to hold fast. And we got to consider some things. Those are the next blanks for you to fill in. We have to draw near, hold fast, and consider, draw near, hold fast, and consider. These are the practical responses for us. He's saying if Jesus is who he said he is, this is what it means for us and what our response should be, to draw near to God, to hold fast or hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, and for us to consider a few things. So we're going to start with looking at the things that we need to consider, and then we're going to jump back up to the beginning to kind of finish with. So what does he say that we need to consider? What does he say we need to consider? And what does that even mean? To consider, um, to consider first, it, it really means to approach a situation with thoughtfulness, with attentiveness, to do it on purpose. So what he's saying is that there, here's, here's a couple things you're going to need to consider. 
when he uses the word consider, he says, so you need to pay attention to these things on purpose. You need to approach these things with thoughtfulness and intentionality. Go ahead and skip, skip this scripture again and go to the next. What is the first thing that we need to consider? We need to consider how to spur, how to spur each other on. The words that he uses in, in that are, you know, we should consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Consider how to spur. The word here that, that's actually used in scripture is, is um, like the Greek word. I don't know how to pronounce it, but you can look it up if you're curious. The, the meaning of it, though, um, is kind of an uncomfortable meaning. Um, it's like kind of other, other translations say things like to provoke or um, to prod in like a, a way that demands a response. So what is he saying here? Consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If we believe that things about Jesus are true, if those implications are correct, then our expected response is that one of the things we're going to do is we're going to think about how to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but for the most part, most people in my life, we kind of live in this place where like, I don't really want you to talk about like the personal parts of me and I won't talk about the personal parts of you. So like, I don't want you to, to, to dig into my life and I'll agree like to not dig into your life. And so if I'm doing something that you have a problem with, stay out of my business and I'll do, also stay out of your business like when you're doing something I have a problem with or that I think is unhealthy for you. Generally, that's, that's going back to, that's our tendency toward individualism. And what, what this is saying here is we can't, that can't be how it works. That when you step into a place where you are a part of a community of followers of Jesus, there's this, this privacy thing that most of us kind of default to, that if Jesus is who he said he is, if he's done the things he said he did, and those implications are true, that our lives don't just belong to us anymore. That part of being a follower of Jesus means that my life and my business is not just my life and my business anymore. If I'm living in this bag of marbles, my life and my business can stay my life and my business. But each of these grapes doesn't have its own life and its own business because it matters to the rest. And so it's important that as a follower of Jesus, I'm stepping into a place on purpose and I'm giving access to other followers of Jesus, I'm giving an invitation to look at my life and to say the things to me that need to be said, to spur me on or to provoke me in such a way that it requires action on my part. That, that to be a follower of Jesus, according to this, I believe, means that, that I can't just live in isolation or privacy anymore. That as a follower of Jesus, part of the deal is that I need to, on purpose, 
with consideration, figure out how to put myself in situations where there are people around me that have such a close view of my life and that I trust, that we can say the kinds of things to each other that need to be said in order to move me to a healthier place, to move me to a place that's more in line with what God has in mind for my life. We just don't like that, though. Like that's not, that's not pleasant for most of us. Nobody really looks forward to that. And, and so we drift back to this thing where we don't, we might be in proximity with people, but we don't really allow people to connect to our life in such a way that that can actually effectively take place. My guess is that there's probably some people in here that have actually been um, spurred by other Christians before in a way that hurt. See, sometimes as Christians, we have this, we have this ability to like only do part of it. Like, like some of us can be really good at the spurring, provoking part, and then we just kind of walk away. Some of you are really gifted at that. that even, even some of you in this room may be really talented at like spurring people on and then walking away. Like that's, that's not how it's supposed to be either. There's two things in this little list of things we're supposed to consider. This is one of them that we're supposed to do with one another is we're supposed to spur each other on, provoke each other to the point of action. The other one another is we're supposed to encourage each other We'll get to that in just a second, but keep that in mind. The next thing is that we're supposed to consider how to stay present. I use my own words there, how to stay present. The other, uh, in, the, in the translation we read, it said, let us uh, not give up meeting together. Not give up meeting together. Even in, in modern Christianity today, there, there's a tendency toward um, thinking that Faith and spirituality is really, most importantly, about me and Jesus, and that's it. Right? Like, we say that. We, we even, even in the language we use, we say, like, it's important to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss that. That is important. But I think sometimes we can get to the point where we feel like, uh, my 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 relationship with Jesus is just, it's up to me and it's no one else's business. It doesn't have to do with anyone else. When, when I choose to have a relationship with God, like that's just about me and God. There's this old uh, like Christian country singer named, I think his name was Doyle Dykes that, that had this song called Me and Jesus and My Old Guitar. Like that actually sounds good to me because I, I don't, don't love to give people access to my life. Like, that's a way of staying kind of private. That, like, I like that idea. Me and Jesus and a guitar, like, sitting in a room, like, uh, that'd be great. Sometimes, sometimes church like that sounds appealing to me. Honesty, anyone else? Does that sound good sometimes? Like, really, that, that's our tendency, though, is to go to that place of isolation and say, like, hey, it's just about, like, my heart and God. And what I want to tell you today is I... I think we're missing a huge part when we let ourselves fall into that, that mode where it's like, it's, it's no one else's business. It's just me and God. And what I think it, 
this writer of Hebrews is telling us is that no, no, that's only part of it. You got to draw near to God, but, but it's also about connecting to the vine. And part of the vine is connecting with other grapes. Did you just picture the person sitting next to you as a grape? <laughs> Consider how to stay present. I don't think this is just talking about like coming to church on Sundays. I think that being, being present, not giving up meeting together is about having a consistent relationship with other followers of Jesus to the point that you're spending time with each other regularly. Apparently, the writer said this because the tendency of the people he was writing to was away from meeting together consistently. I think that the writer knows, hey, a relationship cannot be sustained when you're not meeting together regularly. You can't really have that same kind of access and relationship or depth or connection when you're not together with those people regularly. We know this. Like, it's, why, it's why friendships are hard when, when someone moves away. Or, or it's why a marriage is really like tested when someone has to work out of town for three weeks out of every month. Or like all of those things. When you're not together, there's a tendency toward disconnection and isolation. And the same is true in our faith and in our walk as followers of Jesus, is that if we're going to continue to grow as followers of Jesus, we're going to continue to move to the place where he has our lives intended for us. It means continuing to make a point of meeting together with each other, of spending time together with each other. Consider how to stay present. It also means staying like emotionally present and available for each other. And the last thing was consider how to encourage. It's kind of like a sandwich. You know, I said this earlier. I said sometimes people are really good at like spurring someone else on and then hitting the door. Like that's not what this is talking about. And that's not healthy and that's not helpful. This is, this is the sandwich, is that... The gospel-centered community that this, this writer is talking about, I think is kind of in this order just like this, that it's important for us to have the kind of relationships that are close enough and deep enough that we can look at each other and say, hey, like, I, I love you. I see this thing in you, and, and I'm not sure if you see it. It's close enough and deep enough that you feel like you can actually say that. But then it's also important to be present and to not hit the door, to stay and say, hey, like, I, I also love you enough that like, I, wanna, I wanna walk with you through this and I wanna work on this with you. And then it's also about staying there and, and, and being an encouragement to each other as we see progress being made. Point number three, following Jesus includes understanding that we are now part of the body. This is this kind of language where you're like connecting as one unit and and different pieces like impact the other pieces and they're connected to the same kind of source of life. It's not just uh, 
this grape cluster metaphor. It's also something that, that we read in other places in Scripture. We read places like 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul is writing about how the church is made up of different members who are all part of one body. That's kind of the metaphor that he uses there to say, like, we are all in this together. That to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you can be a hand and have just a hand relationship with God, and that's it, because a hand on its own is not that helpful. What it means is that you're connecting to the other parts of the body who are connected to the life source, which is Jesus. Following Jesus includes understanding that we are now part of the body. We have this tendency to drift toward, we might be in the same room, we might even come to church every single week, but functionally, we still are disconnected. And so what we're trying to say through this series, what we're trying to get across to you, to me, to all of us together, is that the life of a follower of Jesus is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's not meant to be lived disconnected from the other parts of the body. That as we connect to the life source, the vine, hey, that's interesting. Jesus talks about that too. Remember that when, when in the book of John, Jesus says, I, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know what's interesting about that section? I, I, I never really, like I've always, I've heard that forever. Sandwiched like in the middle of that whole section, multiple times, it's not just about us connecting to God. In the middle of that, Multiple times, he says, so love each other. So love one another. He says, connect to me. And right in there, connect to each other. It's the same thing. Like, you can't be a grape that connects to the vine without also, by nature, like being connected to the other grapes. It's one in the same kind of thing. It's all a package deal. And yet we try and go here. We go here regularly, and it's not how it's supposed to be. I want to go back and look at, at the book of Hebrews real quick and, and then wrap up. So there's this interesting thing here, and, and one specific word that I want to look at and, and talk about, it's, I think it's subtle, but I think it's helpful for me, and, and maybe it's helpful for you. So, so again, this whole section, he's saying, if Jesus is who he said he was, if he did what he said he did, if those implications are true for us, here's how we are supposed to respond. And so, so verse 22 is where it starts with, this is what we're supposed to respond with. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance of faith brings. The next instruction, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. There's this one word that shows up right after that at the beginning of verse 24. It's just a short little word that says and. And sometimes I have the tendency to read and like, 
like it's a list and you're adding new things to the list when you say and. So, so you could say this and this and this. And they're all just kind of their own things that are disconnected. But, but um, this, is, this word in Greek can mean that. It can also mean when you say and, it's like saying I have a finger and a hand and an arm. Like, like it's not just a list of these totally separate things. It's like they're combined. And so when you're saying and, um, one of the things that it says for, the, for the, this Greek word is that sometimes it can even be used almost, almost so strongly that it's, that it's almost like uh, sexual intercourse. Like, like two people, when they're together, they're and they're like one. Like one and another. Like it's that closely tied that, that it's not just like a list of these separate things, but that it's like, hey, this is one thing that I'm trying to present here. And I think that it's helpful for us to look at it this way. And I think it lines up with some other things. So I want to tell you what I mean when I say this. It says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to the hope we have. And let us consider how we can spur each other on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. This, I don't think that this is just a list that says, hey, here are a handful of great things for you to do. Like, pick and choose what you want to do. If you want to do the first one and the third one, that's great. If you want to, like, it's, it's not just a list of all of these isolated things. I really believe that this is like, this is the deal. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, if you believe that he's done what he said he's done, if you believe that these implications are true, Here's the package deal for our response is to draw near to God and connect with each other. It's not two separate things that you can work on like one and then you can work on the other one. I think it's so connected that, that I think that you can't effectively work on one without the other one being in place too. I think that, that that's why that Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Like, he didn't separate those things. He said, what's the greatest commandment? He wasn't asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Like, give them in a list and priority. He said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives what seemed like two answers because I think they're one. I think it's like one deal. I think that one of the ways that we draw near to God is by connecting to each other in community. One of the ways that we connect to each other in community is by drawing near to God. Like they, it's like a symbiotic kind of relationship where both are together. It's like these grapes, like you can't just connect to the vine and not connect to the other parts. You can't just connect to the other parts and not connect to the vine. Like it's, it's both and, it's not either or, it's one deal. And so what I wanna tell you today and what I wanna tell myself today, what I want to say to us as a church 
is that if we are going to continue to move to the place where God has in mind for us to be, if we're going to grow in our faith, if we are going to grow in our effectiveness, if we are going to grow as followers of Jesus, it requires both of those things. We have to draw near to God individually, and we have to connect with each other on a deep, substantial level. And it doesn't mean simply coming here on Sundays and being, hey, like, I, I show up regularly on Sundays, like, but, but you're, you're not connected. Like, you're missing this. And I think that's, that's what we need to hear together, is that God has something better in mind for us than a bunch of marbles rolling around in a bag. That God has something that he can do in us and through us when we connect to the source of life in Jesus. He can grow us and change us and feed us, but he can also use us in the lives of each other. He can use us to shape and influence and change each other. The band, you guys can come up and, and get ready. I'm going to finish with one thing that, that I shared earlier. I know it's hard. Like, I know that this is not an easy thing to do. I, I, I'm telling you, honestly, like, my tendency is to go to this place more often than not. Just because it's easier to do, man. Like, it's not easy to allow people into my life. It's not easy to say, hey, like, I, I want... I want you to say hard things to me. I want you to say the things to me that you know I need to hear, but I don't want to hear. Like, I don't really want to do that most of the time, but I need it. And I know that God is going to use my community to grow me. But I've got to step into that as I'm drawing near to him, too. I'm going to read this. This is from a devotion. Um, by a guy named Paul Tripp, and, and uh, I read it regularly. We've shared some things from him in the past. I thought this was significant and, and helpful to hear for us together. It says, life in a fallen world is hard. Living with fallen people is hard. Together they leave you exhausted, discouraged, and tempted to be a tad cynical. You simply cannot live with sinners and not be sinned against. You cannot live with people without seeing their true hearts revealed. I understand why people, after experiencing the hurt and disappointment that so often mars our relationships, decide to live in isolation or in a comfortable collection of terminally casual relationships. I understand why people say to themselves, I've been taken advantage of once and I won't be taken again. I understand why married couples choose to live in long-term Cold War relationships that lack intimate friendship and unity. I understand why people often choose to live in functional isolation from the body of Christ. I understand why children might choose to live a great distance away from their parents. I understand why many people dread the extended family gatherings that accompany the holidays. I understand why people hide their hurt and refuse to talk about painful topics with one another. 
I understand why people don't want to ask for help or give help when asked. And I understand that none of us have ever lived in one single relationship that hasn't disappointed us in some way. I understand that relationships are hard. But there's one other thing that I understand. It is that for the believer, relationships are not a lifestyle option. No, they're an essential piece of God's calling between your salvation and your final resurrection that biblical faith is fundamentally relational. It is shaped and driven by two primary communities. First and foremost is the community with God that is the whole reason for our existence. Life is found in community with the creator. Then there is God's call not only to live in self-sacrificing love of your neighbor, but also to be a tool of God's work in your neighbor's heart and life. You and I just don't have the choice of opting out. We are relational beings who have been called to lifelong community with God and with others. Like, I get it. It's hard, it's not the easiest thing to do. But what I wanna tell you is that one of the ways I think that we step into the presence of God, that we allow God to work on us and change us and grow us is by drawing near to him and at the same time realizing that we are connected to each other in a way that gives life. And if we choose this more than we choose this, I believe that it gives God access to us to do things that we can't even imagine. I don't know what the next step is for you. I know that the, it's, signing up for group link is not like an end all be all to this thing. Like it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's us trying to set the stage and, and try to provide some environments where maybe this could happen but the reality is like the first step to this happening is you stepping in to a place with God and letting God shape your heart and change your heart and say, I, God, it's hard. Like, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna be vulnerable. I don't wanna give other people access, but I know that that's a part of me drawing close to you. And so I, I guess I'll risk it. Are there people in your life that you're inviting into this kind of place? Are there people in your life that you're asking to like walk beside you? God has something more for us as a community than just people who are living in isolation but that happen to be in the same place together. Don't miss it.